0: I'm Michael Dugan, your culinary host, guiding you through the chef's journey. Join me at the chef's table, where you'll experience stories, secret sauces, signature dishes, and kitchen disasters. Tonight, today, wherever you are, this is a really special episode because we are crossing countries. We're crossing rivers. We're crossing oceans from Seattle all the way to Bombay, India. This is a very special guest. And Simona Taran is a food blogger. She is a diehard foodie, a home chef very passionate about sharing her knowledge on Clubhouse. She runs Spice Advice, a clubhouse room in Food is Religion, and I'm just really excited to have you here today, Simona.
1: I'm I'm delighted to be here. Thank you for having me, Michael.
0: Tell us about your food podcast because I I was listening to it, listening to you, I was listening to Josh, and it's so creative. Can Can you tell us a little bit about it's Metro Food Hoppers, right?
1: Yeah, that was the second one. So two podcasts. The first one was called THC Heart Bites because. T H C T H C stands for the hot chef, and now that's the food avatar that I created a few years ago when I started microblogging on you know Instagram and Facebook etc. I was very late to the party because I never considered myself a food blogger, and I'm going to say something terrible right now. I know it's going to get me a lot of hate, but I'm okay with that. <laughs> I I don't want to be known as a food blogger because okay. the word I think has become extremely loaded now. And at least in India, every second person with a smartphone and a mouth, because you need the mouth to eat and to talk, who wants free food is a food blogger. I see. Okay. And it's not just the people who want free food. I'm sure there are plenty of them who pay first and then review. I'm sorry, but I come from a world where I did the work. We used to have to research. We had to do our homework before doing interviews. It was a lot of hard work before you ended up finally, you know, having your article published. And even back then, yes, of course, working for, like I said, one of the most powerful media houses like the Times of India means restaurants and and, uh, even five-star hotels are going to bend over backwards to invite you for free food. So that was not the intention, right? That I'm going to eat for free. It was more the the education. You're meeting chefs from around the world who are flying in for food festivals. Wow. You're meeting people who talk about how they've curated certain things. You're meeting sommeliers who are talking about wine. Which all of these things seem very normal now because the public has access to it and social media, of course, you know, blows it up in your face just all the time. But back then. Even food cooking shows were not as sophisticated as they are today. So that world was extremely elite, very exclusive, and relatively inaccessible. As a food writer, you had to earn your place there, and you had to really learn on the go. You can't publish something in a printed publication and mess up. Today, if you make a mistake in a blog, you can go and edit it out. Okay. But once it's in print... If you said something wrong or factually incorrect, your editor is going to have to print a retraction if it's serious enough, which hopefully you don't ever want to uh, to happen because, you know, you get called into the edit meeting and everyone knows about the boo-boo you've made. Right. Or it's so small and it's so stupid that it doesn't warrant any change or attention. Everybody's already read it and they think, oh, wow, she didn't know that. (laughs) So you see, it's like when you come from that caliber, that background, you look at the world today where anyone and everyone is a food blogger. I mean, everyone throws around food reviews, having done zero research, zero accountability. And that pisses me off because food creators, restaurants, businesses, home chefs, everyone, it doesn't matter what capacity or, you know, what to what degree um, they're doing their stuff. But they're putting their their lives on the line, their life savings often They're, it's their work right And for a random person to just walk in and say some something flippantly is very disrespectful. So I'm very very conscious of the fact that food blogger is a title that I take very seriously and there are many people who call themselves food bloggers but are not doing justice to that to that label and that's definitely where i wish that more people would take the trouble to do their research you did so much homework before this right so for me oh, that's i have what no I'm...
0: idea <laughs>
1: <laughs> see so so that's because you respect what it is you do and what it is that the people who you're interviewing do
0: i respect what you do as well
1: and thank you because that's that's what makes you're this a, a, an equal energy exchange absolutely so when i started my podcast i wanted to bring all of that journalism Uh, skills and background and you know seriousness but add fun to it and also engagement because what a podcast can do a printed article or even a digital article just cannot right because you're talking to people you've got music you're taking them on a journey
0: come on come on which do you enjoy more being a food writer or being a podcaster
1: i'm a, a podcaster come on i'm all about the energy
0: yeah, me too. You're awesome.
1: Honestly, I, if you asked me this question five years ago, um, yeah. I would not have had the same answer simply because I I think I grew up being this introverted, lots of very noisy in my head, talking to people. No problem with that. I, I didn't have any social awkwardness ever. Okay. At that stage of my life, I was more introverted, happier on my own, more willing to express myself through words written down.
0: There is so much power though, Simona, there is so much power in being introvert.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think that that was the best thing because who I am as an introvert is what makes me feel and appear like a very confident superstar when I'm, when I'm playing the extrovert. Yes. You know, I am an introvert. I'm not an extrovert. Most people would laugh thinking about this if they've met me, but I know the truth. And I honestly believe that.
0: But you worked at it.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And I know this. And being, being well read, being somebody who had arguments in my head with uh, imaginary people and debates and fleshed out conversations means that when these things happen in real life, I'm already rehearsed, dude. I've done this already. Right, right, right. <laughs> you know, so that was, that was the practice. And this is just like, okay, cool. I'm doing it again. And I think that's what helped me become a better podcaster. It's not that I wish I had started with podcasting. I probably would have been rubbish at it. I think it's the years of honing your craft as a writer, being able to construct and, yeah. you know, create and have a flow and understand structure. All of that discipline. Oh, that's my favorite D word. Discipline is what helps me today to be able to pick up a mic, pick up a camera, just open a clubhouse room and speak. It did not come easy. It did not come naturally. And it um, is definitely not something that someone taught me. I had to teach myself. So podcasting for me was a joy. And THC Heartbites was simply my first foray with zero knowledge, no technical training, and just right. being giddy with excitement at listening to all the possibilities from the different podcasts I had heard. And I think the first one that really uh, did the opposite of the term hit me where it hurts it made me explode with joy where one can possibly explode the most with joy is the splendid table. And that is a beautiful podcast. And it was initially hosted by a woman with a voice that tastes like whiskey mixed with honey.
0: Oh yeah. I've listened to it. I like it a lot.
1: You know, poured onto, Oh, it's, it's just beautiful. She was, the hosting was taken over by a gentleman. I think, um, Stephen mm. Philip, but really a very cool guy, much younger, but still kept the um, the joy of the show alive. And for me, I said, you know what? I need to be able to do this. I need to be able to take people wow. on this journey with just my voice. And the good thing is, just like the the years and years of discipline with writing, right, as a craft and a skill. Yes. Being a voiceover artist made that easier too. So I stumbled into voicing because of a random cousin, in fact, uh, worked at a studio, one of the most hip recording studios slash nightclubs in in Bombay. And it's called the Blue Frog.
0: Wow. Oh, I love it.
1: It was the first of its kind because they had something called sound design and soundscaping in a nightclub, which Had never been even heard of before, right? You just go in and speakers are banging out music and everybody's dancing and sweating and getting drunk. But no, here, the performance space, they would invite bands from across the world to come and perform. It was a restaurant, come, nightclub, so very posh, very high end. But,
0: oh my gosh.
1: But in, because I was a journalist, I knew that the press kit that came to me said that the very walls had been acoustically enhanced so that the performances were the focus and not the food in the restaurant. The food was just something to eat while paying attention to the performances, right? So this is the caliber of club we're talking about. So you can imagine their adjacent business which was a recording studio because they would get bands from across the world coming and performing so of course they also had a recording studio that was where my cousin worked so
0: that's incredible
1: he invited me once and said randomly hey you you seem to have a good voice a skill for this and uh not even no he says you you're just crazy because <laughs> when i talk i'm very and this is the perfect word i'm very animated okay i know some people will say cartoon like, but I'm like, hey, that's animation too. So <laughs> he was once like, why don't you just come in and build some tracks and let's see if you can put down something because we're building a voice bank of voice artists. And I'm like, oh, what is that? I love it. It sounds like the kind of job I would get. He's like, yeah, calm down. You're not going to get paid, but you can have fun with it. I said, that sounds good to me. And I went in.
0: It's a gift, Samana. It's really a gift.
1: And I didn't know I had it until until I went in there, put on those headphones, Oh yeah. uh, panicked a little bit, and I'm like, why can't I hear anything? And then he spoke into the mic, and he's like, um, right. uh, just calm down. You have to put on your uh, headphones, and you have to put on the mic, and now we're going to do a sound check. I'm like, oh, okay. Because when you go into a soundless space for the first time, yeah. it's very disorienting, right? Because I live in Bombay, one of the noisiest places on the planet, I think.
0: Let's go into Bombay next.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely.
0: I really want our listeners to know about Bombay and maybe can help paint a picture of the food, the culture, the people. Oh, I would love
1: to, but I just have to finish the story because this is the the part that pivots to how insane it is that I now have a 14-year career of being a voice artist and how that is such a big, huge part of my podcasting. So I I went in, I recorded those tracks, we had fun, and I forgot all about it until I got a call from them saying, we're doing a partnership with Z Cafe, which is the first all-English channel on television in India. They are doing a live contest nationwide for voiceover artists. And it was the first time anyone had even recognized this industry because voiceover artists are always in the background, right? Right. And I said, yeah, but why are you calling me? And they said, no, no, we think you should totally take part. You know, you'll kick ass and you'll have a lot of fun. And I'm like, no, 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 television. No, no, no. And somehow he convinced me. I went in, did not realize that people from around the country had traveled to Bombay to audition for this and only a select few got in. I came to know that after the fact, which is a good thing because I would have run away. I thought it was just fun and games. It was three days of crazy tasks, very competitive, lots of fun. All of it being recorded, of course, for television. It was quite weird and uncomfortable. But also, I kept forgetting that it was like that because I was having so much fun. And I won.
0: Oh, my gosh
1: zero real life experience. I had just done maybe one or two little gigs, you know, small gigs that I got called in and I felt so excited that I'm getting paid to have fun. Winning that contest knocked my socks off because I'm like, wait, what just happened?
0: That's so awesome.
1: I was so busy having fun that I forgot about the competition. And I think that was a good thing because I really just threw myself into it. And I won, I won this beautiful crystal trophy that I still have. And you have to understand, right? For someone for whom this was a fun side hustle, not even a hustle yet. It was just a fun side thing. Yeah. And to be competing against many of those people who were established voiceover artists across the country who'd been working as voiceover artists for a really long time, including people from rock bands, you know, amazing, powerful vocalists who are used to being in front of audiences. And then there's me, the little monkey, who was like, <laughs> just having fun. And I won. So you can imagine what that did for my self confidence, for my ego, and for my portfolio. Beautiful. That's why I had to finish that story. So so with something like that happening to you, you can't ignore it's not just a skill or a fun thing to do anymore. It's like, Okay, this is legit. I got it. I got I got what it
0: Again, takes. Again, <laughs> I am so honored to have you on the show. As a voiceover artist, can you walk us through Bombay? You are so great at painting pictures in words. I would love for you to share that experience with our listeners. Receive $10 off your next purchase with Voices for Chefs 10. You don't know what to make for dinner again. You want to explore new cuisines but you don't have time? What if you have new inspirations and we provide you with ingredients and recipes? We know you want to travel, learn new foods, explore the world, but life's responsibilities keep getting in your way. What if you can bring those experiences to your home neatly packed into a box? Boot Collective is a subscription service that finds real people from around the world to create beautifully curated assortments of recipes, ingredients, and cultural content. Not only do we include cultural ingredients, but also a set of detailed recipe cards with instructions on how to use them. Each box also has a QR code that when scanned takes you to tons more global exploration to immerse yourself in. Everything from film to lifestyle, art to history, it all can be found here. Live your life to the fullest. Subscribe now and don't miss out on the next cultural adventure. Leedy Boo Collective, always exploring.
1: Yes. Okay, so Metro Food Hoppers is the second podcast that I was commissioned to do by one of the media houses that does have a lot of integrity and which I respect immensely called the Indian Express. They opened up their podcast division in 2018, 19, and sorry, 2018. And they discovered that, hey, we've got political shows, we've got documentary shows, we've got news shows, we've got lots of things, we don't have a food show. Someone that was working with them said, I know somebody who can do this because she has a little podcast called THC Heart Bites and I think she'd be perfect. So I had complete creative liberty to design the show, to decide the topics. The only thing I couldn't control was that- I remember. Name. So Metro Food Hoppers, terrible name, but let's not get stuck on that. So what what was the beauty of the show is that it was an audio journey where with the help of my fabulous, talented and very, very skilled producer, because everything else in the earlier podcast was completely indie, done in my bedroom with the blanket over my head, hoping that my cat would not interrupt. And instead here, it's like a proper, proper professional uh, produced thing where he did soundscaping. So it's like you're with me traveling in the auto rickshaws. You can hear the, the meter going down. You can hear the auto rickshaw starting, and they're like, all right, let's go. And you can hear train announcements. You can hear traffic noises.
0: Simona, I was listening to that, and I just cannot believe how creative you were. Really interesting.
1: It wasn't even me. It was all Joshua and Joshua Thomas. Shout out to Joshua Thomas.
0: Definitely. Very
1: talented musician, very talented sound designer. I love and it. And he basically made that whole podcast come alive. The rest, the rest was interviews with regional chefs, with home chefs, with restaurants, with food industry leaders. It was just amazing, including my favorite topic, seafood and sustainability. So I got to do a lot of things that I'm passionate about via this podcast. And I was completely supported by Joshua through it because he was with me doing the interviews. He was with me eating his first 12-hour cooked kakuni, which is the pork belly cooked Japanese style.
0: <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh. I want that pork belly. Okay. I really want that pork belly. That was a Japanese restaurant, right? Japanese? Yes. Okay. See, I do my research.
1: You definitely do your homework. Yes, it was. And we were sitting with the chef himself and he was explaining. And Joshua had never eaten Japanese food in his life.
0: I think I heard that too. Yeah, that's amazing.
1: (laughs) Anyways, for me, the best gift was just watching him close his eyes and go straight to heaven. Like I could see him taking the escalator to heaven. He was like, what is this? I'm like, yep, that's Japanese food
0: for you. (laughs) All right. So this made me think of a question that I really wanted to ask you, and I want to share with our listeners. What food would make you go to heaven?
1: For me, I think food is such an easy, immediate express ride to heaven, no matter how simple it is, and it doesn't have to be exotic, Mm. but I do, I have to admit, I am partial to Japanese food, Asian food in general, I mean, something about seafood, because it's so such a core part of me and my upbringing and my background and my passion and even I'm hoping my future sashimi is just like I can eat sashimi every day all day for every meal for the rest of my life like if people ask you those silly questions like if you could eat only one thing for the rest of your life what would it be so I would cheat initially and say Asian food because then that covers so much
0: Wow! but then
1: if they get specific I'm like sashimi Literally, I can eat sashimi every single day. Which fish? Tuna.
0: (laughs) Yeah, of course.
1: Ottoro. So I did taste Ottoro for the first time, actually, once I was in, um, when I was visiting Thailand. And my, my friend and I decided that we would indulge ourselves in Thailand, but with a full Japanese meal at a very upscale, a relatively upscale restaurant. It was in a Marriott. Oh, nice. And... Oh my God, that meal was like a a big chunk of my monthly salary at that point (laughs) and worth every single bite. We ate Hokkaido oysters, we ate toro for the first time, we ate... Bowls, not spoons. Bowls of ikura, which is the salmon roe. Oh
0: my god! Uh, and
1: tobiko, which is flying fish roe. I'm telling you, we. I've pretended I was a billionaire,
0: <laughs> and that's how I feel
1: when I eat good, good food. You know, because yeah, I, right. I come back to it after saying this entire thing. I still maintain that a simple bowl of khichdi, which is just lentils and rice cooked together with some spices, mm. uh, can can send me to heaven. You know, because food is such a beautiful thing. It brings people together. It carries our memories, our history, our heritage. And I think it's a very powerful thing because we literally put it into our bodies and it nourishes us. And it can it can either make us very, very sick or very, very strong. Experience it with all our senses. It's tactile. It's It's fragrant. Temperature-wise, texture-wise, it's so visual and I think yeah it's it's really a gift to be celebrated the day that I will have to have food restrictions will be the saddest day of my life and I hope it never comes and my heart goes out to people who cannot eat certain things for whatever reason physical medical spiritual religious but cannot it sounds to me like a punishment you know because food is just such a celebration and there's so much to explore the world has so many gifts our planet Gives us so many gifts, you know, and every culture comes with such beautiful traditions and rituals and all of this related to food that I just feel very privileged that I have access to so much of it.
0: Yeah, that's amazing.
1: Kind of coming back to Bombay. Yeah, you know, I think that's what you're asking to ask me to come back to Bombay. Bombay is one of the best places for somebody who's obsessed with food. Because Why? Because India, when people say okay. Indian food. And they think Indian food is butter chicken, uh, paneer,
0: tikka masala, yeah,
1: tikka masala, and biryani, and full stop. And I'm like, seriously, <laughs> because there's there are cuisines in India I have not even tried yet. Wow, there are cuisines in India that I have not even heard of yet, or maybe I've heard of, but I've I can, can't even conceptualize it. So India is a, it's a subcontinent. Okay, uh-huh. so first and foremost, we have such a variety of terrain, and then for, therefore much more produce, that much more uh, variety in the kind of fruit and veg and uh, grains and all of the staples that we get, and then of course come the variations in how they're prepared. And in India, you walk 50 kilometers, and this is not my quote, I am quoting a a celebrated food journalist, you walk 50 kilometers, and the recipes will change, the names of the ingredients will change, the way that they prepare it, and the way that the final outcome tastes will be completely different with the same ingredients. Oh my gosh. So tell me, how can you possibly spend even a like a hundred lifetimes in India and say, I've eaten everything. Everything. But <laughs> you can't.
0: Well I think you might be close, Simona.
1: <laughs> no, not <laughs> a chance. I feel like I want an, I want to be a cat. I want to have nine more lives at least. Yeah. So I can I can just eat my way through this country. Because wow. my favorite part, and this is what we're gonna probably jump to next I'm guessing, which is the seafood snobbery.
0: <laughs> oh yeah.
1: India is a peninsula, right? So we've got so much coastline we don't even know what to do with it and i grew up on the west coast Cool. i grew up in a small fishing village with my grandma oh
0: my gosh that's awesome i love it
1: i know you have a similar background right because the the seafood thing yeah it's just part of our, our our upbringing it's a part of our consciousness
0: our soul
1: exactly so i think Growing up, a respect for the sea, understanding that we are so connected, that everything we get from the ocean is so precious and so it it needs to be respected. It needs to be respected. We have to understand that sustainability is not just a... It's critical. It's critical. Exactly. It's not something that you can take off a checklist. It has to be an integral part of your day-to-day living. And that's why I'm also so obsessed with, you know, sustainable consumption of seafood, understanding what is in season and what is not. Because when you think seasonal produce, we speak about fruit and veg and grain and all of those things. We rarely think about the fact that we're harvesting so much of the ocean and the ocean is well, there's more ocean than, than land, right, on planet Earth. So, so that's our bigger harvesting ground, and therefore we need to be way more mindful.
0: In part two, we catch up with Simona in the kitchen and get cooking. She shares her passion for cooking with unexpected ingredients. She talks about food as religion and hosting the Spice Advice Room on Clubhouse and many other unexpected surprises. Thanks for joining us today. Follow us on Facebook. Find our website in the show notes. Subscribe on Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen. Leave a comment with five stars. And stay tuned for the next episode of Voice for Chefs.